Hey there, everyone. Real quick note before we get into the episode. Uh, the book that we read this month does discuss some topics that may be uncomfortable for certain listeners. Uh, it does deal with sexual harassment of minors uh, in a few various forms, and while we don't use the most explicit language with it, it is a topic that cannot avoid discussion for the episode. So if that is an issue for you, uh, you can feel free to skip this one. We do the rating at the front end of the episode, so you can hear our quick thoughts on it without having to listen to the whole episode if you want to. Uh, for everybody else that is comfortable with the subject matter and how it is presented, we hope you enjoy the episode. Kids and welcome to episode forty nine of Hello Fellow Kids. Nice. Oh wait, wrong number. <laughs> we are recording this though on four twenty. Blaze it. Yeah. <laughs> I know what I'm gonna do after this. Dinner. Yeah, I'm gonna eat dinner and hang out with my girlfriend and probably watch Moon Night. Probably gonna um. Well, once I get my duties out of the way, I have to like. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to take a poop, and then um, I've been writing this month five pages a day, so i got to get my five pages down. But HBO Max has the new Batman movie, and I want to see Robert Pattinson. I want to see Robert Pattinson. <laughs> I saw that in theaters. You know, I was just, I I know everyone was upset by the casting, but every time they cast someone no one likes as Batman, I'm just, like, rooting for them extra hard, just, like, out of spite. Even though I do like Robert Pattinson quite a bit, and I don't like Twilight, so it's possible. Yeah, what I'm going to say about it is, in regards to the casting, at no point did I ever look at him and go, that's a friggin' vampire bat. So, like... He didn't? No. So, I I, I straight up forgot that, like, while I was watching him, that he's also the Twilight guy. So, uh, I thought it was good casting, as far as that goes. I've seen him in lots of stuff that... Lots of stuff. I think that's pretty much a lie. But I have seen him in stuff where I was sitting there just like, I wasn't, you know, Twilight didn't ruin it for me. Like, I liked The Lighthouse, even though I'm still not sure what I watched. But it's a good, it's a good movie. Okay, we're, we're, this is not the Robert Pattinson is surprisingly good podcast. This is the Hello Fellow Kids podcast where we give a book report to you every month. And if you're not using this for school, then I don't know what you're doing here. <laughs> Unless you are also an adult fellow kid who enjoys middle grade literature, because sometimes you just want to get through a book that isn't, you know, has all the tropes of like adult literature where you're just like, does the English professor have to cheat on his wife? Like, can we just have a book where like stuff happens? 
Also, like, did we have to have an English professor? Like, I get that you're a writer and it's right what you know, but oh my god, I'm so sick of reading about other writers. <laughs> right. Like, the only person I kind of give a pass to is Stephen King, because he's been writing for, like, 40, 50 years, and that's really all he knows now at this point. If he tries to be all like, I run a gas station, I'll be like, bullshit, sir. You live in a palace in Maine. <laughs> Don't you lie to me. Okay. Um, anyway, so our book this month is Chirp by Kate Messner, and she is a new-to-me author, but um, I was reading through her, um, I was looking through her, like, bibliography of stuff she's written, and she she wrote, like, those books about the dog saving the day. Yes, she did write the like, books oh, about the dog, the, the, the time travel dog, yes. Yeah, I had no idea, and I was just like, oh, those books never appealed to me in the slightest. But this... she has also written a lot of other standalones, I think. But that's the one that like, yes. I recognized her name from. Yes, me too. I was kind of embarrassed about that. But, Maybe those are the um, ones that she writes to like pay the bills. And then the other ones are the ones that she writes that like she's actually probably. Like, excited about. Yeah, this is probably the ones that chirp probably mattered to her. Is that was the impression I got the impression that I got while reading it. Never had to knock on wood. I'm glad I have it. <laughs> I'm sure it isn't good. Speaking of if something's good or not, the book. Okay. This is what I was thinking. I was getting close to um, finishing this, and I thought this book is kind of like the flip side of um, As Brave As You by mm -hmm. Jason Reynolds, because mm -hmm. that's all about like kind of the boy experience of growing up again, you know, you know, in the shadow of toxic masculinity, and sure. how do you get through that? Then on the flip side, it's kind of girls, and like, how do you get through toxic masculinity? <laughs> and I'm laughing, but it's not funny. But um, it, it was like I'm like, oh yeah, I remember stuff like this, and it makes me feel bad. Right kind of a bad time so it's more like we picked another bad time book it's not as like you know this heart you have in your chest i'm gonna rip it out and just throw it on the ground like wolf hollow was but you you are gonna like i cried while i was reading this and then cried again when i was doing my notes and i was just like i don't want to cry right now so yeah. uh i know because wolf hollow made me cry i was like five stars i didn't want to do that this time around i'm like no, it made me cry and I felt crummy about it. Yeah. So like 4.25 is, is not a bad book, but I do think it's uh, one of those books where like, it's not bad, but it is an important book. Yeah, I definitely felt like it was an important book. And keeping in mind that we grew up in different bodies. And so my experiences aren't the same as your experiences or the experiences of the characters here or whatever. I felt like it was one of those books that I think is pretty important for younger people to read, but I, some of it was, it, it, it wasn't as rewarding reading it as an adult, which is not a fault of the book specifically. No. It's just like, yeah. a, some books work from multiple perspectives better than others, depending on what their, you know, what their, their aims are. So it's like, it's a fine book and I would recommend that younger people read it. Um, but it's not one of those ones that I would be like, I'd recommend to like anybody regardless of age necessarily. That's kind of where I'm at 
it did have its charms, but it kind of kind of missed the mark for me as far as like what what I need in order to like make it be a five star book. Yeah. But I was still just like, but it's not quite it's not three. It's better than three. So that's kind of where I'm at, like with a four. I know we usually do like the rating like at the end or whatever, but I think this is like a good I think this would be a good staple to have in the classroom of your teacher. But I was also thinking when I got to the end of it, like, boy, wouldn't it be great? Because we have like in, in my classroom, if I had one, if I was a teacher, I would have uh, as brave as you this and then you write a book about like a non-binary kid who like doesn't, you know, right? And so instead of it being so gender essentialist of this was the boy experience, this is the girl experience. You're like, what if I don't really relate to either of these things? Right? So like I, I, kinda... I, I didn't have a personal relation to the experiences of either of those stories. <laughs> um, which is not necessarily me like saying that I am non-binary, but like as far as like the spectrum of gender goes, there's definitely a, a lot of space in the middle there where it's like non-traditional experiences as far as that goes. So that's kind of what I wanted. I was just like, let's get like a book about like a non-binary kid because I know that the, those books exist like in the teen realm, but I kind of I kind of want to just in, in middle grade. Like, yeah, it's still it's still a really new like mm-hmm. being non-binary is not a new thing, but like having no, the no. Ha- having the like the broader social awareness of the idea and the vocabulary to to deal with it uh, is still very much like pe- a lot of people are still learning about a lot of that stuff, so there aren't as many options available yet. Um, huh. I mean, we're we're like it's it's still relatively new for us to have middle grade like you know like gay stories let alone like you know gender identity and expression and who knows how much longer it's going to take to get something like that now because of all the um laws that are getting passed in really backward crummy parts of this country this country being america if you haven't been able to tell yet we come from a very american perspective on everything (laughs) right yeah to, to, to the detriment of this podcast i think sometimes anyway uh so chirp uh, d- did you want to do a basic synopsis? Uh, sure. And I also think that it, in the case of this specific book, it was a good idea for us to get uh, some semblance of rating out of the way early, just because it does deal with some topics that people might not want to listen to. I'll probably have already recorded a uh, content warning all the way at the start, but just in case you miss that or something, um, this book does deal with sexual harassment and uh, things like that involving minors. Um, And it does not use the most explicit language to deal with it, but it is not shying away from that is 100% what they're talking about. So just, you know, be aware of your, your own, your own health and safety when you're dealing with this story. But I think it touches on some important things that need to be addressed in some form or another for that age group. So. Yeah, it's it's a lot of like what I've been saying like in every single podcast when there's like an adult who's like, let's have a secret. And I go, no secrets with children. Like every time I was like, here's this book where I could just like smack it in someone's face like this is what I've been saying <laughs> this whole time. But yeah, so basically the book is about uh, a girl named Mia who goes to uh, she she's moving to Vermont where her grandma lives and her grandma operates a cricket farm. Uh, she makes like a uh, protein powder and, and, uh, things like that, uh, out of crickets. And Mia s- signs up for a couple of summer, like camp activities. She does one that is based on 
uh, like inventions and entrepreneurship. And then she does one that is kind of like American Ninja Warrior sort of uh, activity stuff. Uh, but she's also dealing with the... The aftermath of like an accident and an incident that she kind of implies happened at like her old gymnastics gym that she was a part of. Yeah. So it takes a while for her her to tell us what that was. She's just kind of, but as a result, she's like very different from how she used to be. She used to be like a braver person who took more, you know, physical risks, not like dangerous or anything, but she was more adventurous. And now she's just like, you know what? I'm safe on the couch with my snacks. I don't need to go anywhere or do anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, basically, it's about her summer uh, working with her grandma, and there uh, appears to be someone attempting to sabotage the cricket farm. And so there's a bit of a, a mystery that she's trying to solve with that and making new friends and kind of coming to terms with some of the things that she's had to deal with and learning who she wants to be going forward is kind of the gist of it. That sums it up. All right. Are we ready to go? Let's get into it. All right, back to Vermont. Yeah, this is, uh, we were realizing how many books we've read that take place specifically in Vermont, if not New England as a whole. Because um, <laughs> the, the whole Small Spaces series is explicitly Vermont. In fact, this is the the second book in a row that talks about Lake Champlain. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, <laughs> be careful. Oh, don't want to end up on that on that island. Okay. So, hey, we're back in Vermont again. Our protagonist this time is a teenaged girl named Mia. Uh, her family is moving back to Vermont from Boston, where they've lived for a couple of years. Unlike most of the kids we meet in this podcast, she's thrilled by the move, alluding to an accident that's made her shy of strangers and quit gymnastics. So she's leaving all that behind her. Fresh start here, but it's a fresh start in a familiar place. Her mother takes advantage of them all being trapped in the car to hound Mia, so she'll pick two day camps from a huge stack of brochures she just happens to have on her person. Uh, in particular, she pushes a gymnastics day camp that Mia has already adamantly turned down. I want to be annoyed with the mom, but then Mia expresses her desire to spend all day watching Shark Tank and American Gladiator, and I see her point. <laughs> <laughs> the family uh, swings by the grandmother's cricket farm, and find it in turmoil. Uh, the cricket farm, uh, basically just in this office block, and it's just kind of like the storefront, and in the, in the back, there's like refrigerators and freezers and stuff. So it's not like out in the boonies, just like... They're not they're fields. not free-range crickets. Let's get that no. out of the way. There's not like a big ranch where all the crickets are hopping around. Yeah. Mighty fine morning today, isn't it? <laughs> you know, you're just like, you're a cricket. How are you talking? <laughs> Okay. So, um, anyway, the family swings by the cricket farm and they find it in turmoil. There's seagulls everywhere just chomping down on crickets. Grandma says this isn't just nature at work here. It's sabotage. Grandma had a stroke, uh, six months previous and, uh, she was planning to sell to some chode with the name of Chet Pottsworth, but she changed her mind. In fact, she's going to expand her business, which is cooking and eating crickets. Wow, okay. Mia's mom is overly dismayed by the news of her mother-in-law's change of plans and keeps harping on and on about it, and just like that, I'm back to disliking this character. The family gets settled in their new house, and Mia assists Grandma uh, at Grandma's Cricket Farm. She helps an employee named Daniel water the crickets, 
They set out shallow dishes of water that some of the crickets drown in since they're too stupid to stand up and get out. And Mia has a very adult thought about this, that it might be all well and good to the observer what the cricket should do, but it's different to be the one in the water. I'm a little worried for Mia and think her stupid mother should be pushing for therapy sessions and not gymnastics camp. Daniel tells Mia that her grandmother is expanding the business, not because she wants to, but because she needs to. Profits are too low where they're at right now, so to drum up $500,000, she's actively looking for investors. Anyway, uh, Mia chooses two camps, Camp Launch, which I always wanted to say lunch every time I looked at it. I was like, I'll go to Camp Lunch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's run by a guy named Jim, and he has a lot to say about Hot Pockets. Today's sandwich day. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, she chooses the two camps, Camp Launch and Warrior Camp. Camp Launch operates out of the local middle school and is run by a woman named Zoya. It seems like it's a camp for rung young entrepreneurs. And when Mia walks in, everyone's already got a project. Like one kid's, uh, some kids are building an app to find soccer games. Uh, a pair of kids are putting together a food truck situation for their parents' business. And uh, one girl's just flat out building a robot. And they're all planning to enter a Shark Tank-style competition that's being held at the end of camp. It's not required. It's, like, outside of the camp. But this is good, like, prep time for that competition. So, um, yeah, all this is happening. And it's day one. So Mia's overwhelmed. And, dude, I'm 37. And I'm ready to call my mom and beg her to take me home. <laughs> <laughs> Mia's invited to join the app group by a friendly girl named Clover but declines when she finds out one of the boys sexually harassed a girl out of the group already. She likes to work on her own to save her grandmother's business. Here we go! Chapter 1 ends with This is Sabotage, and I did, in fact, write I Can't Stand It, and I uh, wrote like I wrote over my eye like nine times to emphasize how long you're supposed to hold the eye. So, you know, clever, unique jokes that we've never made before. No. Oh, I made a note that we're killing it with gay couples lately. Uh, because, uh, there's, uh, James and, uh, his husband, and then later on, when we get to know one of the kids at launch camp better, um, she has two mamas. Was Vermont one of the first places to have gay marriage? I thought it was. So it makes sense that there'd be a lot of them there. That sounds... A lot. There's two that we know of in this book. Well, four, technically. (laughs) That sounds definitely not wrong. I don't know a lot about the timeline of that, but... What if you I... looked that up and then you, like, added it in, like, a Ron Howard-style thing? Like, it was incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> so, before they got to launch camp, I was not sure what it was going to be and assumed that it was space camp. And they, they were going to be shooting off rockets. Right, same. And then I was just like, oh, what is this? Oh, it's Shark Tank? That sucks. Why are we here? You know, but she's interested in it, so that's why we're here. Like, yeah. Okay. Uh, and and I ma- just looked it up. Uh, same-sex marriage in Vermont has been legal since September 1st, 2009. So. All right. And it was the first state to introduce civil unions in July 2000. Thanks, Bernie. I fact-checked, I fact-checked in real time. Thanks, Bernie. <laughs> My last note here is that there's a kid named Aiden there that uh, is doing a, a business for supplying baked goods for fundraisers, and I wrote, look, it's Mars' fake son. 
I wish he'd just pick a book so we can go. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got so far. Yeah. Um, I pretty much knew where we were headed here because when she first, first meets Daniel, um, he's friendly and, but she still feels really nervous and uncomfortable. And she says like, ever since her accident, she's felt awkward around strangers. And I was like, something happened to her. And, um, then when we find out that she's into gymnastics, I was like, I think I can put together what happened. And I was almost right. See, I did not pick up on that right away. And I wonder if that has to do with the fact that that sort of issue would not have been as common for someone in my body. Well, I mean, the whole Jerry Sandusky situation, they targeted boys. That's true. Boys aren't immune to this. No, absolutely not. I just think yeah. that it's probably... Not quite as common. But I think there's more of an awareness with girls. Yeah. So. Yeah, it, it's almost like the difference between, like, that's a thing that could happen to boys and that's a thing that is gonna happen to girls, which super sucks. Yeah. I'd rather it not happen to anybody, you know? Yeah, ju- just in case y'all didn't know, we're against sexual harassment? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah. in, in case we have to spell that out. And someone, like, huffily, like, turns off the podcast. <laughs> well. <laughs> that's the last that's one fewer podcast I'm listening to per month. I was already on the edge when they said, thanks, Bernie. They thought we meant the um, furnace in Ollie's house in the Small Spaces universe. His that's name a, was Bernie, remember? That's a deep cut. Hey, if someone was, like, a real fan of this podcast, they would have slapped their knee and just hooted at that joke. You know, if they were, like, 90. Maybe that's the demographic we're missing. 90-year-olds? Yeah, we should really... 90-year-olds don't... They don't know what a podcast is. <laughs> I'm ready to, they probably, to move on. They, they think a podcast is something that they would have to, like, plug into their TV. Yeah, they're like, does it go with the television? And they're like, no, Grandma, just sit down. How many Wi-Fis do I need? Because I only have three. What do you what? What do you think a Wi-Fi is? You turn around and there are three distinct routers on the dresser, <laughs> and they're all just plugged into each other, and none of them are plugged into the wall. The young man at the store was so nice and helpful. Yeah, I bet he was. If he sold you three routers, <laughs> well, he asked how many rooms were in my house, so I told him, and he said that amounts to about three, covering that real estate. Then he wanted me to meet his friend Norton, but he got very flustered and said, never mind. He was sick, <laughs> even though he was antivirus. This is so stupid. Okay, are we ready to go? Okay. So uh, Mia goes to help at her grandma's cricket farm and tells her all about camp and her plans to help the business. Uh, grandma approves, and when she goes to take a phone call, Mia helps Daniel feed the crickets. But the cricket feed is full of beetles. And we're not talking John, Paul, George, and Ringo. We're talking icky with antennas and, like, who knows what diseases they have and how the hell they get in the food kind of beetles. I mean, I uh, probably have a lot of those similar questions if one of the actual beetles showed up. Yeah, you open it up and Paul McCartney's like, how's it going? I heard you had a cricket farm. And you're like, ah! <laughs> Seal it back up. And like, I like the Rolling Stones. Okay, so anyway, the beetles, beyond being gross, could contain disease that could spread to the crickets. Uh I think the crickets were a band, too. It was Buddy Holly and the crickets. <laughs> okay, I got I got so, I got so, okay. So, um, Daniel wonders aloud if Grandma's right that this could be sabotage. Yeah, get used to that. 
So anyway, uh, Mia has her first day of warrior camp, and she's the oldest kid there. Boy, I've been there before. I'm like, oh, I think I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> so um, at least she is until Clover from launch camp shows up. And uh, Mia becomes overwhelmed and triggered by the rings, uh, the rings that you kind of swing from because it makes her remember her accident. But the uh, counselors are kind to her and they encourage her to go to like some like monkey bar type thing to like build up her strength. And they suggest like other activities so she doesn't, you know, just have to do that all session. Mia and Clover bond and Mia tells Clover about her grandmother's issues with the farm. And Clover, an amateur detective, is 100% convinced that this is deliberate sabotage and is ready to investigate. She also wants to help with the business plan since her part of Kickfinder is over and she's just spinning her wheels at camp. They brainstorm lots of ideas that are actually really good. And Mia brings in cricket samples and most of the kids try it. And Mia comes up with the hashtag chirp challenge for their campaign. After camp, Clover wants to see the farm and accompanies Mia where they help Daniel water their crickets. He's sort of acting weird about how he's leaving early that day. So when he leaves his phone unattended, Clover snoops. It turns out Daniel's leaving early because he has a job interview at another agribusiness. Interessante. Um, the girls attend warrior camp, which still isn't going great for Mia. And when they're done for the day, they hear grandma's dog, Sid, barking in the office of the cricket farm. When the girls go to investigate, they hear two men rummaging around inside. The girls run away, not equipped to confront intruders. When she's at the warrior camp and they, like, give her, like, alternate activities to do and stuff, I liked that nobody made a big deal out of it. Like, it was just kind of a, like, okay, that's fine, just go at your own pace. Instead of, if I were in that situation, I would be acutely aware of the fact that I was doing something different from the rest of the group and feel like I was sticking out like a sore thumb. And I appreciated that I did not really feel that same level of anxiety uh, reading Mia's situation because it very much, my recollection of it is that it was not that uncomfortable and very much a just like, no worries, we have plenty of activities here. It's it's fine. Everybody can be at different stages and that's not a big deal. Yeah, they were very kind about it and um, didn't do this whole thing about like, well, what happened to, you know, like about that? She's just like, I broke my arm. And the guy was like, oh, yeah, I broke my arm, too, and shows her, like, the scar on his forearm where it happened. It was just like, it took me a while to build up my strength again, and that's what's going to happen with you, and we're good, you know. This is very nice, like, moment of empathy and, again, kindness. So I was just like, you know, I really appreciate this warrior camp, honestly. And, like, none of the kids are like, ha-ha, you have to do Because, like, no one's noticing or caring a whole lot, or they notice, but, you know, no one's like, why are you on the baby thing, you know? Yeah. Like, and I think for the most part, kids are like that. They're, they're just like, you know, it's fine. Yeah. Clover mentions some of the, like, children's detective books that she's read, and yeah. she name drops several of them, which I did look up, and they are all real, so I think the author's okay. just giving a shout-out to some of the books she likes. I think mm. she, like, mentions Nancy Drew, but was like, they're kind of old, so I don't really like them, and I'm like, oh. Well, I liked them, and they were old when I was a kid, so... Uh, when they came up with the idea of the Chirp Challenge, I thought that they should just rename Graham's company to just be called Chirp. Like, that's that's a very, like, 2020s company name idea, and 
it felt very like that's kind of where I thought it was going to go that they were going to after that they're going to rename the company to be Chirp. Uh, I also really liked the the ice cream being called mint chocolate chirp. Big fan of that. That kid was like way too good at like at puns. I was just like, stop it. There's a mention that the Seattle Mariners are selling toasted grasshoppers at their games. So like, shout out. Yeah, our literal home team. And I was wondering why that that wasn't happening locally because like they have an in for their particular ball team because Daniel, the employee, plays for their local ball team ball game so i was like why isn't he like talking to anybody and like he has the connections right jerk (laughs) i'm not really but like kind of the only other thing i want to mention before i forget is so i think it's sort of addressed through the mom but i felt like i was expecting at least one more instance than i got in this book of Hey, does anyone else think that it's weird that people are eating crickets? Like, I know it's a normal thing in, like, other cultures, but, like, I feel like this is almost from a slightly parallel universe where it's not quite as weird as it would be to me. So I was just expecting a little more of, like, a, that's odd, and it's just kind of more normalized here than I was expecting, and I don't know what to do with that, and I don't know if that's just me. Well, there was that scene where they're in launch camp, and she brings it in for people to try and Eli's like, what? And like, doesn't want to do it. But then everyone else does. So then he kind of feels peer pressured into it. So maybe that's also how it was handled. Just like, yeah, maybe initially you'd be like, I don't know about that. But then everyone else, everyone else is like, come on, try it. Don't be, you know, don't be weird. Just. I guess <laughs> just I'm also coming from the perspective of like, I don't want to try foods. They're scary. I don't want them. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> so like, that's a very personal thing for me. <laughs> But, I mean, I think more people are adventurous eaters than you, so... Hey, you know what? You're not wrong. (laughs) But I think you'd just say no thank you and then not be a jackass, you know? Yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't be like, y'all are the weird ones, I'm the normal guy over here. I'd just be like, I'm good. I just eat three things, leave me alone. What if they made the cricket so that it was, like, similar to, like, a chicken nuggy? So it had, like, a similar texture to, like, the nuggy? Honestly, at that point, I'd be more scared of what they had to do to the cricket to get it to be chicken nugget texture. Well, they'd probably just mix it with, it's, it's, it'd just be like, um, I eat a lot of, um, imitation chicken nugget nuggets and stuff like that. And it's mm. it's just mostly just plant based and um, working with texture that way. And I only eat that because um, I don't like frozen chicken so iffy. And sometimes there's like a piece of like gristle in it and it grosses me out so badly. Sure. And that's not going to happen in a veggie nugget. So that's why I eat them. So I don't end up like gagging and dry heaving while eating nuggets. Veggie nuggets. No gristle. Only thistle. So, yeah. And interestingly, you can't eat crickets if you're allergic to shellfish. Right, because they're like closely enough related that it could be a it could set off your your allergies. Yeah, I was interested by that. And it also made sense when they're harvesting them that you have to make sure that they're alive before they go into the freeze and all that. Like you can't like feed someone a dead cricket because it's like that with um shellfish as well i worked in a seafood department for a few years and uh when people would order clams or we had clams mussels and oysters and you had to make sure they were sealed up tight 
like shut because you can get ill from cooking up a already dead shellfish. They have to be alive when you cook them. That's horrible, but that's the reality of it. Is it because do they like? Is it because they like release something in death, or is it because like if they're? I think so. Okay. I don't remember the specifics. I just knew you don't want to do that. Yeah. Shellfish is kind of risky to eat. So you're probably making a good call by not eating them at all. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason why some religions forbid it, because it's just like, you know, this is so dangerous. Like, let's just not play around with it. We'll leave it alone. But, um, yeah, I remember there were people who would be, like, really impatient about it. It was like, can I just, can you just give me the dead ones anyway? I'm like, no. Why would I give you something dangerous? <laughs> so you could sue this place? Like, I like my job. You're waiting, like, an extra ten seconds. Like, get a grip. Alright, so Mia and Clover go straight to Mia's house and tell Mia's mom what happened. And of course, Mia's mom is skeptical that two guys uninvited in an office rummaging around is any kind of danger. But she still calls the grandma, and grandma's already back at the office and everything's fine. Grandma changes her tune in the morning and calls the family in hysterics. They can't understand what she's saying, so they drive over. They discover that the place is full of fruit flies. Um, whoever Mia heard in there the previous day had planted fruit fly pupae, and they hatched that morning. Instead of being defeated by this, Grandma just set some glue traps for the fruit flies. And uh, Mia talks to Daniel as they work, and he feels pretty hopeless about their situation. On top of these obstacles, raising crickets in and of itself is difficult. And like I just talked to you about, you can't harvest crickets that are already dead, so you have to shake their cardboard cubby a few times. And make sure they're able to climb up again. And the ones that don't are dead, so you leave them behind. And it takes a lot of time and manpower, which gives Mia an idea. But first, it's the 4th of July. Mia's family meets up with Clover's, Clover and her, and her moms at a local park, and the two families headed off. Mia and Clover linger at a playground to pass the time. And Mia comments on the weirdness of a sign that states, adults not allowed unless accompanied by a child. Clover's like, nope, that's not weird. There's too many creeps in the world. She tells Mia about a man who exposed himself to her on the beach when she was all by herself. Mia's aghast, but uh, Clover had shouted, hello, at the man and startled him into running away like the coward he is. Um, Clover was scared at the time, but she was determined that this asshole not ruin the beach for her. Uh, for Mia, who changed her whole personality and lifestyle after her accident, this is a revelation. Grandma shows up to the park with a bottled firefly, which they admire, and then the fireworks start up. So uh, next time they're at launch camp, Mia talks to Anna about her robot and asks if it could shake something. Anna's like, um, yeah. Mia and Clover explain automating the cricket shaking part of harvesting, and Anna eagerly joins them. They go to her house after camp to discuss and plan. Anna confesses that she's felt lonely since Eli's pushy perviness kind of pushed her out of the group. Her mother is an Indian woman who worked in tech and was forced to face a lot of Eli's herself. And Anna knows she needs to stick it out and that she deserves to be at the camp, but uh, the Eli's make that difficult. The girls understand and then bond over the show Wicked, even though they're dangling from a bar and singing One Short Day in the Emerald City. Which is weird when defying gravity is right there. <laughs> it's like, that's not the song you sing. You're dangling from something in the air. Damn it. 
So at Warrior Camp, uh, Mia and Clover make plans to visit Chet Pottsworth's operations. And they can't go that week since it's shut down for the 4th. When they're uh, leaving the camp, so the the Warrior Camp is in the same office park area as the Cricket Farm and this uh, lame moose gift shop. So anyway, they're leaving the uh, Warrior Camp and the moose gift shop dude pushes a stuffed talking moose onto Mia, and the whole interaction felt weird. I had the thought of using the robot arm for the crickets right before they did, so I was glad we were on the same track. I don't really have any commentary about the awful thing that happened to Clover at the beach, besides that it's awful and I hate it. I actually kind of do have something to say about that. Where some, something similar happened to my aunt when she was these girls' age. Mm-hmm. She was like in junior high. She was with a friend and they were walking around like their junior high school. It was kind of like in a wooded area. So they're just like walking along talking. And then this guy suddenly steps out in front of them and opens up his raincoat and, you know, yeah. shows everything. And her friend froze, but my aunt burst out laughing. Just laughed her ass off, and then like the guy was just like, oh, and like ran off because of that being the reaction. And I think he did end up attacking someone before he got caught, mm-hmm. but he didn't get anybody that day, just based on her reaction of just putting them on the spot like that, like like what Clover did and like what my aunt did. I was just like, yeah, that that can work. Yeah, it might not work for every creep, but it worked for that particular brand of creep. Yeah. Oh, the conversation later. There's a thing that says cute white guys like Eli are the worst because they uh, think they're God's gift to the world and just assume you'd want to go out with them. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's true. I made a note during the thing where they're bonding over Wicked that it kind of just feels like the author really wanted to talk about Wicked. <laughs> like, she's just, like, really into the show. It's like, I need to, like, I need to get this out somewhere. So she used it here. And then she refers to Wicked at least once more in the story. I'm like, yeah, she was just on a big Wicked kick at the time and just needed to get it out. <laughs> I was kind of, like, reading that going, like, tween girls really into the show? No, I think really? it's more of the authors really into the show. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Everybody, am... knows, everybody knows that Wicked is so, like last season you should be into hades town it shouldn't even be last season it like came out in the early 2000s it's yeah. pretty old at this point <laughs> we yeah it should have been it should have been wicked then hamilton and now hades town well, yeah they should be totally into hamilton based on how long it takes like a book to be written and then published mm-hmm. it would be hamilton but I guess that doesn't really make... I don't know, what would you do? Be dangling like from the thing and kicking your legs going, I'm not throwing away my shot! I'm not throwing away my shot! I don't I don't know any of the music from Hamilton. That's the so. only song I know, other than Alexander Hamilton. That's it. Okay. So, Mia and Clover run the cricket stand at the farmer's market, and it's a success. Lots of people sample crickets and pose for pictures under the... <laughs> I wrote... This is weird, so it looks like it says chimp challenge. <laughs> anyway, oh, no. what, wait, what's that challenge? Do you just like how many bananas you can eat in a minute? <laughs> that or you have to fight a chimp, and I would not recommend that. No, chimp will win. Chimp will win, for sure. So, okay, anyway, so they pose for pictures under the chirp challenge banner, uh, including the mayor. They sell out of all their product, and then Mia takes that confidence with her to some nearby businesses, 
and she pitches crickets to them as ingredients, and a few restaurants express interest, which is promising. The following Monday, the girls ride their bikes out to Chet Pottsworth. I hate this name. Chet Pottsworth's operation and sneak around to find evidence of him sabotaging the cricket farm. They don't find anything, but Pottsworth suddenly returns and the girls hide dangling on pipes behind some steel tanks. He walks around yammering on his phone and says that the motion lights are on and he doubts fruit flies set them off. He laughs and the girls take this as a smoking gun. Too bad they're trespassing on private property and can't actually use this as evidence, flimsy as it is. So anyway, at launch camp, uh, Clover talks Mia into submitting her cricket business plan into the entrepreneur competition. She's put all this time and work into this plan, but it's even more galling to find out her mom's on the phone with Ch uh, Chatsworth, assuring him that grandma's totally going to sell her farm. This is a massive overstep, which the mom at least acknowledges but she's worried about Gran going further into debt and losing her house. She isn't trying to be a pessimistic bitch. It's just that sometimes the world kind of forces you to be. She tells Mia about an inappropriate boss she had when she first became a lawyer, and she put up with it because she had student loans to pay off. Gran might have to sell to the overly pushy Chatsworth. Wait, is his name Pottsworth? Chatsworth. Pottsworth. Thank you. <laughs> I wrote Chatsworth in my notes. Okay, might have to sell to the pushy guy, and that sucks, but, you know, sometimes them's the bricks. Anyway, Mia's cousin is going to take up gymnastics, so her mom asks Mia to go upstairs through her old stuff and uh, look for some leotards that she can loan out. And Mia goes to the box and finds an Olympic medal pin. The sight of this distresses Mia. And we'll cover that in the next section. Why? Oh, I put Chatsworth because his name is Chet Pottsworth. Right. And it came up with Chatsworth. Yeah. You can't leave out the pot on 420. Yeah. Sorry. I Okay, so I feel like the stakes of the book... I feel like there's a certain level of dramatic tension missing from some of the core scenes of the story. Like, I feel like the, uh, there's obviously the dramatic tension of what happened to Mia prior to this. And how she's dealing with that emotionally. But I guess I don't... I guess I never felt the weight of the cricket stuff. I felt like some of that might have been lost on me. I think it might have to do with the fact that even though Graham is experiencing setbacks with the, the different areas of sabotage and stuff, I didn't feel like that the stuff the kids were doing in the camp and all of that stuff, I felt like there wasn't a whole lot of like, it, it went pretty smoothly, and I feel like there might not have been as much narrative drive because of that. Do you get what I'm trying to say? I don't think this is really your fault, because like you said, this isn't your personal experience. But, I mean, the whole point of the story isn't the cricket farm. No, I, I, I know the whole point isn't the cricket farm. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's not. Yeah. That's why it kind of feels more low, low stakesy. Cause like, I know what you're, I know what you mean. Cause I didn't really feel any urgency with the mystery storyline either. Because like more, it's more about women kind of fighting for their right to exist. Yeah. Like in the business sector or in the entrepreneurial, like inventor sector or just to, I just want to be a gymnast. Why can't I just do gymnastics without someone wrecking it for me? And that's kind of more what the story is and where the tension is. 
So you're right that there's no tension with like the mystery because that's not really what it's about. So right. I mean, so I you're not I, wrong, yeah. but there's like more of a bigger picture here. Yes, and I get I guess I guess my challenge with it is feeling like the book is trying to tell me that there should be more at stake in that part of the story than there actually is. Um because I I understand that the crux of it really is about her you know, her relationships with, uh, you know, the women of previous generations and how they dealt with things and are currently dealing with things versus how, like, her and Clover coming up and stuff like that. But it's just, like, with so much of the story space being dedicated to these, like, almost, like, it'll kind of almost want to be an actual, like, Nancy Drew style mystery, but then it'll kind of, like, pull back and be like, it's not really what the book's about, but then it'll be like, oh, but we are gonna still, like, sneak in and stuff like that. It felt like there was a little bit of, like, a not quite committing to that identity um, that it was originally kind of selling us on, right? Like the, you picked it up because you, you were like, Oh, it's a mystery at a cricket farm. And I feel like that's not what it's about. And I agree with you, but I feel like it kind of wanted to be about that, but then wasn't committing on that part of the story as hard. It was as it was committing on what it was actually about. And so I felt like some of that was a bit lost. Well, again, I, I, I'm going to repeat to you what you said earlier that like uh this is a a book that's important for kids to read so it's it's still going to be like a kids book and maybe things aren't going to be woven as deftly for like an adult audience cuz it's it's for a kid so i'm sure like the mystery part would be fine for a younger person reading this but for you and i who have read quite a bit of miss you know at this point reading this genre uh, of mystery and stuff we're gonna expect a little different so i'm a little bit kinder to the mystery at the at, that's going on in this mostly because it isn't the central focus and i've got more to say about this later but it concerns with like spoilers for later on in the book sure so i kind of don't want to get into it now sure but like i see what you're saying but i think it's a Oh god, I I don't mean this as a pun, but I think it's like a feature and not a bug. That's okay. That I made a note about somebody saying that they were debugging software earlier, so oh, we yeah, each get our like, one. No. <laughs> well, I think a kid actually did make that thing at the camp. Okay, there's one thing at the camp that bothered me that I hated. So Anna was initially in that group with Clover and Eli making this stupid soccer app that no one would possibly want. Sorry, I think it's a dumb idea. I would not fund that at all if I was the Shark Tank person. <laughs> I'd be like, how into soccer are kids, really? And who's actually, like, looking around for a game? Or if you're going to want to play soccer, you're probably going to already be in a team or also, have friends who also like soccer. Also, isn't that, like, a great tool for the exact sort of people that we're fighting against in other parts of the story? I didn't even I'm going to download that, an app that tells right. me where children are going to be where playing. Where children are! I know! Oh, that's so horrible. Ugh, you're right. Yuck. But um, anyway, so then he chases this girl out of the group by just hounding her about like wanting to like go get ice cream. And it's like, how many times does she need to say no? So she tells the teacher. The teacher just goes, stop it. And then like, that's the end of it. And then like the girl's just like, I'm just not going to work with a team anymore. And she's like by herself. Like, that's sad. And, like, the teacher's not even engaging her to, like, maybe do you want to know join another group? Do you want to do this? You know, 
And yeah. and so this kid is just kind of like left by herself. And it's more like, why is she getting punished? Because this kid's an asshole. Right. And then that's why, like, when this book kind of started, I was like, I don't like Clover. Because I was sitting there like, why is she still in this group when he chased this girl, other girl away? It's like, are we dealing with like a pick me on our hands? Like, I don't want to deal with this shit. But it turns out Clover's just like, oh, I just like coding. I like coding. So I'll do it. And blah, blah, blah. And, you know, she is like 11 or 12. So it's not like on her. Plus, like we find out towards the end that the kid's parents had no idea this was going on. And it's like, why didn't the teacher like maybe... The, the woman supervising maybe talked to his parents a little bit yeah. about that. Just like we had kind of an uncomfortable situation. Maybe you might want to talk to him about it. Like I've resolved it. Like they've separated or whatever, but I feel kind of bad because this girl's like opting to just kind of sit by herself. And she even said like, I felt lonely <laughs> by myself watching everybody else in groups. Yeah. I think that it was poorly I, handled. I will start by saying yes, that the teacher poorly handled it. I think uh, that what is also going on there, and I don't know, I don't know if the author intended to make anything of this or not, but now that you're describing it, I'm kind of picking up on it, is that these characters exist in that transformational age between child having crushes without not know, without actually knowing what those emotions are really and stuff, and then moving into like an actual like relationship, sexual human being sort of thing like that. They're in that, they're in that transition area and so i wonder if it you know they're kind of not recognizing those things as being like no this is actually something that like now they're at the age where we need to start addressing these things because these are real feelings that need to be dealt with and you need to have recognition for the other people that you're interacting with and how your interactions are affecting them and things like that yeah so yeah um says Zoya calls the girls the three entrepreneurial musketeers, and I'm just like, no, she doesn't. That's too much of a mouthful. It looks good on paper. It, she probably never probably. said that. <laughs> You're like, I, I'm sure that happened. And then everyone clapped. Uh. And then you stop right before we finally articulate the incident. We'll say that I think it's gross to give someone your old leotard. <laughs> Because it's, it's a very, like, pee-pee thing. Like, like don't do that. I was just like, ew. Was it, it was like her cousin, right? Yeah. Yeah. But still, like... I'm just clarifying. It, getting the information. I don't know. I just was like, I wouldn't want to wear a hand-me-down leotard. And I was like, God, she's sweating it. And like, yeah. oh, God, I, gross. Yeah, the sweat, obviously. And also, I genuinely don't know if you're supposed to wear things under a leotard or not. You know what? I don't know either. Um, I was in a tap class when I was a kid, and I did have to wear leotards and a tight tights. I think I did wear underpants though. I don't. I don't know. I never did. I never did gymnastics. I had no interest in it. Okay. Um, are we ready to move on? We did warn for content warning. I don't go super into detail in my synopsis, but if you if you need to skip forward a little bit feel free. Uh, time for the flashback we've been dreading. Uh, when Mia was still in gymnastics, a former Olympic athlete was hired on at her gym as a coach. He was really friendly and talented and everyone loved him. For a while, he'd give out the Olympic pins and uh, everything was fine. But then he got all the children's cell phone numbers, red flag, supposedly to tell them practice times, but really just to groom them requesting pics. 
and he started hugging Mia in a way she wasn't comfortable with. So she began to avoid him. Her anxiety about it was so bad that she tried staying home with a stomach ache, but her mom forced her to go anyway. Mia was on the balance beam working on a complicated move when she saw the creeper coming her way, and it broke her concentration, resulting in her falling and then breaking her arm. Um, it took time for her arm to heal, and once it had, Mia had quit the sport. She never told anyone about what the creeper was doing, and she's lived with her icky feelings by herself, uh, just streaming TV shows and eating snacks. So that night, Graham comes over for dinner and announces to the family that if anything else goes wrong at the cricket farm, she'll have to sell. Mia's dismayed and shows Graham the chirp challenge hashtag. It's a little heartening, and Graham says she's, you know, she's okay for now, so long as there's no freezer issues or problems with the temperature or humidity. At launch camp the next day, the kids go to the local university to hear a, a businesswoman speak. Uh, it's really informative, but Mia's the most interested in what the speaker says to a group of women after the talk. The speaker once worked for a really handsy boss, but she quit, built up her empire, so to speak, and then bought his company and fired him. Mia's able to get the speaker alone and tells her, you know, me too, like I had a similar situation. So the speaker sits down with Mia and ascertains that she's safe as of now and that Mia understands that what happened to her wasn't okay. And she urges Mia to tell a trusted adult about what happened. So uh, Mia feels so much better having told someone about the creeper that she goes to warrior camp and attempts the rings that had intimidated her earlier in the story. And it's a triumphant moment that's ruined when camp's over for the day and she checks in on Graham. The heating system was cranked up and the freezer was shut off. The crickets stored in there for the open house. The crickets that Gran had been counting on are now a, a warm soup. Daniel takes the live ones home to freeze in his freezer, and it looks pretty dire. Mia tells Anna and Clover all about how weird it is that Gran was just saying last night, gee, wouldn't it be bad if these exact things happened? Clover still suspects Daniel, but sensible Anna asks exactly who was at the dinner and were there any cameras, like a nanny cam and a teddy bear? Mia remembers the stuffed moose Mr. Jacobson, the guy who runs the moose shop, gave her, and that one of the speakers in his ears doesn't work. Anna wants to look the moose over, just to know for sure. But in the meantime, just sit tight and act normal around the moose, which is a very weird sentence. Yeah, so when we find out that Mia was into gymnastics and, like, is doesn't do it anymore, and now she's, like, scared of strangers in her um, accident... I was like, okay, I think I know what happened. She had a coach who like overstepped the mark. I was thinking this direction or it was like a coach who was like overly pushy and like pushed her too hard and wasn't very supportive in like her like tricks or whatever. And through that person's like pushing, she um, fell and broke her arm. Mm, That's yeah. where I thought we were headed. So, yeah, I was kind of braced for this, just like, okay, here we go, because I hate this shit so much. Yeah. And also, I don't think kids listen to this, but if they do, if you're, like, in an activity like this, and they want your phone number, bullshit, they don't need your number, they need your parents' number, because yeah. they're the one getting you to the practice, because you're 12, you're not driving. The the coach doesn't need your number, they just need to be get in touch with your mom, like, hey, you know, practice changed. Turns out we're going to be starting at 5 a.m. and not 6 a.m. Because a lot of these sports, like gymnastics and um, uh, figure skating and shit like that, 
it's early, really early in the morning, so kids can't get there on their own steam from like public transport because it's a lot of it's not running yet. Like the first things run maybe like seven or eight. Uh, and a lot of this stuff, some of the stuff is like before school. So yeah, there's just no reason for him to have the phone number. And when I heard that, I'm like, no, 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 no. He's going to be weird. Yeah. Yeah. All like all communication should be done through the parent or if they need to relay information specifically to you, it's going to be through like physical paper handouts or something like everything's going to be above board and public information. Uh, yes. there, there should not be any communication between child and adult that is not actively available to everybody. It's not even just because like, oh, they might be creepy. It's just a kid's not reliable. You want yeah, to tell like, adult. It's just logistically just not the best choice. Right. So all over the board, there's just no reason for there to be a communication there. Yeah. And I really hate that he wrecked that for her. That was something that she enjoyed. Yeah. I don't really have much to say about this section, though I just now realized that in my head, the woman that uh, she talks to that spoke at the the college or whatever, um, yeah. in my head, uh, she looks like AOC. <laughs> That's all I got. That's the only bit of commentary I have for that section well, her name's Anne marie spangler so i start i was picturing john mulaney's ex-wife whose name is anna marie oh, okay so i was i was picturing her but like i see her as an aos like this very like efficient aoc type yeah and i like that she took that moment with with mia it was it was just like okay you're okay right now right you know like i'm not about to send you off back into like a really dangerous situation and urged her to like you really should talk to somebody you trust about this and i immediately thought of the grandmother i was like go tell your grandmother okay see you don't have anything to say so we can yeah i don't have anything substantial to add for that so i think it kind of stands on its own so go ahead cool all right so sure enough when anna inspects the moose she finds a listening device anna removes the sd card and the girls hear all the things the family said about graham's business including her dad talking about a cricket farm in Quebec that was brought down by an illness called CV- CPV. Most importantly, Graham saying that all would be well so long as their temperature and humidity remain steady and the freezer doesn't have any issues. Mia's nauseated by this breach of her family's privacy, but Anna has an idea for how to handle this and asks to take the moose home with her. Uh, when Anna returns it, she's added her own listening device because her plan is to get the moose back into Mr. Jacobson's store, specifically his office. They'll all go to his place and ask him for entrepreneurial advice, and while he's distracted, one of them will smuggle the moose onto a shelf. Easy peasy. Later that night, the unfairness of Graham losing her business because some selfish asshole wants it instead truly hits her. Uh, she likens it to her own situation, how gymnastics is ruined for her by the creeper. In a moment of catharsis, Mia takes the Olympic pin outside and smashes it to dust with a rock. Um, the next day, Mia's mom gives her a ride to launch camp, and on the way there, they pick up Graham so she can get a ride to like a medical appointment. Um, Mia's mo- mother casually mentions that Mia's cousin got into the same gym that Mia used to go to, and she's mailing off some leotards because little cousin starts training the very next day. Um, Mia completely loses it, sobbing and saying no. Uh, and her mom pulls the car into a convenience store parking lot, and the whole story of the creeper comes out. Uh, Mia had been so worried that no one would believe her, but her mom and Graham do, like, a thousand percent. 
her mom tells her that they're always going to believe her and that the mom's going to make some calls to the coach of the old gym and to Mia's aunt so the poor little kid doesn't, you know, end up in a gym with a pedophile. After all that emotional baggage, the kid then has to go to launch camp and work on her presentation. I don't know how she didn't just like just lay down and be like, I give up. But anyway, she she does that. They put the finishing touches on their presentation and the girls goof off and go swimming, which uh, makes Mia feel more like the girl she was prior to her experiences with the creeper. And speaking of creeps, the girls ride out to the office park ostensibly to visit Graham, but really to plant the listing moose in Mr. Jacobson's office. But he's not there. And Graham mentions that he's on a business trip to Quebec, you know, where the CPV virus wipes out crickets and populations. Mia suspects he'll bring the infection back to take out the rest of the crickets they have left. The girls have a sleepover and the next morning is the entrepreneurial competition. Mia's group presents second to last and it goes really well. All of the judges and even some of the audience want to sample the crickets. Mia recognizes one of the judges as the speaker, Anne-Marie Spangler, the one that Mia first told her story to. And it kind of throws her, but she's practiced her part of the presentation so well that she doesn't miss a beat. Uh, when the cricket team finishes, the final team presents, and after a 15-minute break, the judges return with the results. Mia doesn't win first prize, or even place. It's disappointing, but at least Kickfinder didn't win first place either, so I'm okay. <laughs> Your personal vendetta against this pickup soccer game app. Soccer game app run by a Chad and... I just I hate this kid, and I and I didn't want him to win. I hate that he gets second place. I don't think he deserved it. I think the idea is stupid, like you said, a pedophile attractor. But um, when they introduced like the teenage girl who like what was it? It was like some patch that she invented, and I was like, oh, I like that idea, and that's what ends up winning. And I was just like, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I made I made like my one of my only notes for this section uh, is. Uh, that I'm not surprised she won, because, like, she does have patents pending. Totally. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's kind of, yeah. 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 And it was a cool idea, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, there, we had the second Wicked sing-along in this section, so she really just needed to talk about how much she's been enjoying Wicked recently. What's the song that makes sense? She's yeah, been exactly. defying <laughs> gravity. There you go. Like them, like dicking around on the tree, like we're queens of the tree, and that old lady just being like, "Have a good time." The conversation between Mia and her mom was very um, a lot of a lot of the phrasing was really on the nose. I don't mean that in a in a bad way. I just mean that it's it, it was very much like in no uncertain terms. These are the words that a child, especially a child reading this book, would need to hear to kind of to understand very clearly, as opposed to like just doing some more like obfuscated like that was the moral of the story but like sometimes with those lessons it's like you just need to like spell it out like let let's be clear this is not okay you are safe you know this thing doesn't define you all of these things it's like sometimes you do just need to like lay it out there and sure like you know as an adult reading it i'm like i'm like okay yeah, yeah yeah this is this is really straightforward but it's also like i understand that it is necessary as well so I, I don't have a complaint against it. I just want to acknowledge that it is very, it's very direct and it is supposed to be very direct in how it's addressing those things. I kind of liked that there's, there's this moment that we could have treaded into victim blaminess where the mom says, I wish you had told me. And Mia's like, you didn't believe grandma about someone trying to wreck her business. 
And the mom's just like, oh, well, that's me told. Yeah, I, I didn't believe her. <laughs> so yeah. it's like you've proven that you don't trust other people's reality. Yeah. So I didn't feel safe talking to you. And I wasn't going to tell my dad because that's so awkward. And I didn't I don't want any part of that. So, yeah. And the mom kind of just kind of seems to realize just, oh, you know, oops. <laughs> but I thought the grandma was pretty classy, just like, it's fine. This isn't quite the same thing. And it's not, but it, I, and I think this kind of goes back to like Mia kind of musing about the, um, crickets in the water. It's like, why don't they just get up? And it's like, well, it's, it's kind of different when you're there. Cause I was getting mad at the mom. Just like, how is she not realizing this personality shift? How does she not realize this kid's kind of like doesn't seem as into the gymnastics as she used to? And she's probably quieter at home. You're not putting two and two together, but it's like she sees this kid all the time. So you probably wouldn't know it would have been a gradual change. So she might not have noticed. But like maybe someone like the grandma who doesn't see her as much would see, you know, be like, hold on, something's up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if she's more focused on, like, my daughter just, like, broke her arm and stuff, and she's, like, recuperating from that and stuff, she's probably not going to necessarily piece together that there might be some additional thing that would have, like, caused this shift. Um, well, I meant, I meant leading up to the accident. Oh, just with, like, her becoming more uncomfortable with going and stuff like that? It's, yeah. yeah. That's true. Like, yeah, but yeah, but, but yes, I mean, like, the... Textbook predatory is like, you know, ease into it. So like, yeah, yeah, her in response, her uh shift would have been slowly changing as the situation became more apparent that it was not OK. I don't know. I would have hoped that I would notice this if I was in the same position. And maybe I would since I was like chapter one, just like, no, something happened, you know, like immediately was like, no, hold on. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just glad she finally. You know, isn't sitting with that anymore yeah. like, by herself. And I think her mom, like, offers for her to, like, start going to therapy. Which, like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which I would have put her in when I think mom was pushing the gymnastics and shit. Probably because she thought, like, the girl didn't want to do gymnastics anymore because she was afraid of falling or hurting herself again. So I, maybe she would have, like, put her in, like, therapy for that. Yeah. And be like, oh, so you're afraid of falling? And, and then the therapist would be able to suss out the situation with this asshole at the gym. And he has a name, but I'm not using it because like, screw him. But, um, yeah. So it's too bad. They didn't put her in therapy, but I don't know. Maybe these aren't B's parents. That's for sure. (laughs) Very true. I mean, they're not bad. They're just, you know, B's parents make more of an effort. I feel, but oh well, but this mom's busy. She's a lawyer. Oh, but he's perfect. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you want to take us on out? Yeah, okay. We're closing us out right now. Okay, so Anne Marie approaches Mia and wanting to invest in the cricket farm. Mia asks if Anne Marie is only offering because of what Mia told her. So Anne Marie shows Mia the extensive notes that she'd taken during the cricket presentation and says that uh, she likes to support woman owned businesses. So Mia takes her business card to give to Graham. Speaking of Graham, Mr. Jacobson is due back from Quebec any minute now. They hop in Clover's mom's car, and because this is a tense moment where time is of the essence, she stops for gas. This is such a page out of my own mom's playbook (laughs) that I groaned into my hands. (laughs) Yeah, it's the, um... Sensible, too. Like, would you rather we ran out of gas? We need gas. I'm like, why didn't you do that before picking us up? 
It's a very kid feeling of, like, the level of tension that you're experiencing and then the practicality of the adult being like, you're right, this is important, but also this. And then it, you're just like, I can't do anything about this because I can't drive. I don't have my own car. I can't, like, pull out a a, a tank of gas from the back to get us going faster. Right. I, I totally feel that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, anyway, they arrive at the office park just in time to see Mr. Jacobson in an accomplice unloading plastic bins from his car. The girls try to detain him, but when it's obvious he doesn't want to stop, Mia asks him point blank, what's in the bins? Mr. Jacobson gets flustered and drops his keys. When he sits the bin down to pick them up, Mia whips off the lid, revealing several dead Quebecois crickets. He tries to claim that they're crickets he bought from Mia's gram. Mia's like, yeah, try again, dude. Those crickets have CVP, and you've been sabotaging my grandmother's business all summer. We found your moose bug. You're busted. Mr. Jacobson's like, no, you, grabs back the moose and literally shoves a child to the ground. Are they on the moon? How did no one witness this? The meddling kids on Scooby-Doo were never assaulted after the big reveal. So Douchebag gets away with the evidence, and the girls go into the cricket farm to tell Graham what happened. They're lamenting not having evidence to get shitbag arrested when Anna busts in. Anna was bored at home waiting for a family party to start when she pulled up the moose audio file on her laptop. She heard the whole fracas with Mr. Jacobson, but most importantly, they have it recorded. Here's all the proof they need. Okay, so with that out of the way, Mia and Clover show Graham their project and give her Anne Marie's card. Grand's moved to tears and admits that she's been too afraid to pitch to investors herself, and she admires Mia's bravery. Uh, Sunday's busy with the open house, but it seems promising with their chirp challenge banner and displays of food from local restaurants that have been using crickets as ingredients. Daniel and his teammates on the baseball team act as security detail in case Mr. Jacobson shows up again. Fortunately, they don't need to patrol long because Mr. Jacobson is arrested. Too bad, Mr. J. There's also... <laughs> There's also news concerning the creeper. Um, another parent complained about the text messages he's been sending her kids, so the gyms suspended him and have opened a police investigation. Mia cries hearing about this since she feels guilty for not speaking up sooner. She tells her mom that she might want to give therapy a shot. Meanwhile, lots of people come to the open house, including the kids from both of her camps and some of the kids who participated in the competition and the mayor. Eli apologizes to Anna for the harassment, but this is the result of his mom reaming him. The jury's still out on how sincere he is. The day's a success, and there's still time for Mia and Clover to attend the last session of warrior camp. Mia still can't reach the top of the climbing wall, but on the way out, she ducks into the gymnastics camp and does a round off on the balance beam. She has no real interest in picking up gymnastics again, but she was able to be on the beam without fear of the creeper ruining it. Later, she goes swimming with her friends and leaps off the rocks, that much closer to being her old, fearless self. The end. Did you get a kick out of the idea that their security team for the farm was the entirety of the baseball team? Because I love the idea of a whole minor league baseball team, <laughs> like, in uniform, bats at the ready, just like, Ducking behind right. trees and stuff. <laughs> and the guy shows up in the umpire step. Uh, that guy that goes, "You're out," you know. Yes. It's not the umpire. Yeah, it is. That dude. Yeah, the umpire does say you're out, but like the person I'm picturing has like that weird like helmet on their face, and they like sit this, behind the. This is still the umpire. 
are you sure? That's yeah, not it. There's the it's batter, then there's the official. catcher, and then behind the catcher is the umpire. I thought the umpire was the official who, like, stands aside and isn't so, part of any of the teams. Correct. So there's there's the the batting team's batter, the opposing team's catcher. Behind that is the impartial umpire, and he's part of several umpires that would, like, review plays and stuff if necessary. But there is a supposedly impartial ref of sorts, and that is the umpire directly behind the catcher. I know I don't really care. so little about baseball, but Besides, I know that. <laughs> I wasn't even picturing that. I, I knew <laughs> that they were like a minor league baseball team, yada, yada, whatever. But I was picturing them patrolling, but dressed up as like the baseball furies from the movie The Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, that'll that'll intimidate people. It will. They, they don't, the uh, baseball furies are actually really scary. <laughs> At least I think they are. Yeah, that, that was true. That was true. You don't have anything to say. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's, it's cute. Okay. It was cute. It was important. I uh, I didn't have a strong personal connection to it, which is fine. I don't need to. I think it was perfectly fine. I I don't have any really strong opinions about most of it. You just picture this in someone's classroom, like on that on the shelf where the teacher puts like all the. Yeah, yeah, the, you know, that weird thing teachers do where they put books on a shelf. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, they're like, they're like, they're classroom, like, where they have the, like, you know, oh, it's the silent reading time. If you didn't bring a book with you, here are my selections. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like ones that she's actually uh, curated as, like, totally, these are, yes. These are good. These are good books, and, like, entertaining books, and also, like, important books and things like that. And this definitely falls in that category of, like, it's got a message and stuff, but it's not like it's not like one of those books that's just like ah yeah it's a message book uh it's like message there's books, still like characters that you like and things like yeah. that so the message books when we were kids were always st- historicals yes they were so always you'd see like a kid in like stuff, a weird stuffy outfit. historical yeah. yeah and so many and horses and you'd be like I don't want to read this yeah. I remember my mom giving me uh, across five Aprils to read. And I was just like, I don't want to read this. And I ended up liking it, but it wasn't like, like, I liked the Babysitter's Club and like read all of those and loved that. But Across Five Aprils was no Babysitter's Club. <laughs> Let's just make that my Goodreads review. This is no Babysitter's Club. Send. And <laughs> get a bunch of people going, what the hell is wrong with you? That's just how you review everything. It's just, it's, it's a, it's a one to five scale, but no matter what the one to five rating is, you just say it was no Babysitter's Club. Like, that's the entirety of the text, regardless of the star rating. It's either at least, it, it, it's it's either, it, it's no Babysitter's Club, or at least this wasn't Tunnels. <laughs> that's where I'm at. Hmm. Would you pick up another Kate Messner book? So, she writes a well-constructed story. There's some authors where I'm just like, no, I'm good. But like this, I'm just like, no, I think, I think I'd read something else. I don't want to read the dog time traveling to save the day that's a little little no for me but uh, <laughs> a little too squarely in the juvenile with not yeah. a whole lot of uh, uh, adult use <laughs> yeah i'd have to read some synopses for her other books and maybe i'd want to read something else but yeah. um yeah anyway i was happy about this it was unusual, and it covered ground we haven't covered before. Yeah, which is always good. 
Right. Just like, hey, you guys, you guys aren't going to believe what we're reading next. It's a fantasy book about kids going to someone's house and then they find like magical creatures. God, just (laughs) just wait until this fall when we read like four books in a row that are about (laughs) kids dealing with weird paranormal occurrences. Yeah, we're going to have like a such a stretch of that. So I guess it's a good thing we kind of like had like a contemporary playing in the real world type thing. But yeah, guys, it's going to be like a stretch of like... Also, we might be starting it early because the next book that we're reading is called Amari and the Night Brothers, uh, and its series is called Supernatural Investigations. Yeah, but I thought it looked cute, so... Yeah. That's like, that's the basis of it. Plus, I I think it had like a decent rating on Goodreads, like overall, like in the four range. Yeah, so I'm optimistic about that. Was there ever, like, a Goodreads thing that, like, it was highly rated and then, like, we didn't like it and we felt cheated? Because I can't think of one. How how high does it have to be? How high does what? How, how like, what what Goodreads rank does it have to be to be, like, a, a high rating that we disagreed with and it's like, yeah, that's way off. Because, for example, the unreleased uh, book has 4.08. Oh, that's bullshit. I would think that, like, maybe in, like, uh, maybe some people are letting like their teenage selves still review things like five stars. I loved it. I was talking to my uh, cousin the other day. She lived in New York for a couple of years and she's going back. Um, but she uh, was getting involved in the like movie review scene and stuff. And I guess she was she was told by a lot of movie review people that like if you are a female writer of reviews, you should not rate things super high or you should be more vocally critical about things because people don't tend to respect women's voices and assume that they are going to be overly positive, which I had never heard before. And I thought that that was an interesting, I don't know how true it is it because sense. that's, that's the only like, place I've heard can, it from, but like, I can, can believe I trust it. This? When she likes everything, so how can I trust this review? Yeah. I think what's more valuable if you're, if you're the sort of person having that sort of thought is to like, if they're a critic or something, like, think about the fact that they, especially if they get to choose what they're reviewing. Right. They probably yeah. already know what they like and don't like because they've watched or read or played hundreds, if not thousands of things. They've probably already curated their tastes. So of course their rate, their reviews are going to trend positive. Yeah. Yeah. Like with us, like if you if you were to like look at our like our personal like review ratings, like yeah, there's always going to be some like misfires and stuff, but I would bet totally. that we trend towards a lot more of the higher ranking, you know, a lot of threes and fours. Um mm-hmm. because we read thousands of books. We we each read a, a couple hundred books a year between like novels and graphic novels and things like that. So like we're always reading and figuring out our tastes. So we, you know, not to judge a book by its cover, but we kind of know what we want really early in a book. And so we're not going to, you know, we're not going to pick up a bunch of things in a row that we're disappointed with usually. So. That's why we did not cover the rest of the Wings of Fire books. All 15 of them. Even though that was so funny when you're like, it's our most highly listened to episode. I was like, well, should we cover the rest of the books? And you're like, I don't want to. And I'm like, and I never pushed you. So I'm just like, yeah, I mean, why waste our time on something yeah. that, you know, and it's like, not gonna... yeah, 
And in that specific case, I've disliked books more than I've disliked that one, but I'm just so incredibly indifferent towards it. I just don't feel like I have anything like there wouldn't be any substance for me to utilize, right? Like our best episodes are where we have things to talk about, whether it's good or bad or in between. But like, if, if, I just don't have anything to say about it. I'm just like, yes, yeah, talking dragons. Like that just doesn't. That's not gonna make for a good episode. That was so violent. <laughs> I couldn't get over that. I'm like, this dragon got its throat slit and then thrown off the side of a mountain, and that's in a children's book. Because it's a dragon and not a person. Right? <laughs> okay, I think we have discussed all that we're probably going to talk about with Chirp. So I yes. think our communal rating is probably going to end up being a 4. I think it was it was a, what did you say, a 4.25 for you? That's what Storygraph has, 4.25. Yeah, yeah. and I would, I would go a bit lower just because I didn't have a whole lot of personal connection to it, but I also can acknowledge that it's important, and I think it should be recognized for that, and so I think four sounds totally fine to me. So like I said, next month we are going to be reading Amari and the Knight Brothers by B.B. Alston. And this is a fairly recent book. It came out January of last year, 2021. So, And this book, Chirp, was like 2020, so we're, we're not like, you know, trendsetters, but we're staying pretty current. It's better than we read The View from Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> right okay hello fellow kids is hosted by mara and josh produced by josh music provided by ben ash you can visit him at benash.com if you'd like to contact us you can email us at hfkpodcast at gmail.com we are also on twitter and instagram at hfkpodcast and we will talk to you in june with amari and the night brothers bye bye